After winning the Big Ten opener, the revenge tour for the Michigan Wolverines begins. The first stop, a home date with the Northwestern Wildcats. Welcome to episode six of Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I'm your host, Andrew Hammond, assistant sports editor at the Detroit Free Press. On this journey, we will take you game by game, week by week, to give you the inside look at how the 1997 Michigan Wolverines captured their share of a national title. This week, Michigan hosts the Northwestern Wildcats, one of a handful of teams that's given the Wolverines trouble in recent seasons. After picking up a shutout victory over Indiana, the Michigan Wolverines are ranked sixth and riding high in conference play. This week's big matchup in the Big Ten is in State College between Penn State and Ohio State. It is the lone top ten matchup of the weekend, a weekend where five teams in the top ten go on the road. The major question is, will all of them survive? The Wolverines' string of top ten matchups would be saved for later in the season. If you want the complete story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines, the Free Press is publishing a commemorative book. Hail yes, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines can be purchased at um.pictorial.mybook.com. If Michigan's football history is rich, the Northwestern's is destitute and poor. However, it is the Wildcats who are basking in the glow of more immediate success under head coach Gary Barnett. In 1995, the Wildcats put together perhaps one of the greatest Cinderella stories in the history of college football, winning the Big Ten title and playing in the Rose Bowl, or any bowl, for the first time since New Year's Day 1949. The Wildcats will be back in a bowl game the following season, reaching the Citrus Bowl. Coming into the 1997 contest, Northwestern had won two straight against the Wolverines and were looking to make it a third. When we come back, I am joined by Keith Gave, former Michigan beat writer at the Free Press. We will break down Northwestern versus Michigan after this break. This is Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. Welcome back to Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I'm your host, Andrew Hammond. I'm joined this week by Keith Gave, former Michigan beat writer at the Free Press. Keith, I was looking in the archives doing research for the show, and in the lead-up to the game, you wrote a column on how Lloyd Carr's patience with Brian Greasy was starting to pay off. If you could, can you speak about just how vital that relationship was for both coach and quarterback? Well, I sure will, Andrew. First of all, thanks for having me. Second of all, to describe me as a Michigan beat writer is accurate, I guess, but a little bit of a stretch. Uh, the way I see it, I was I babysat the beat for a year, uh, for a season, I should say. Uh, we were going through some uh, staffing changes at the Free Press. We lost some people, including my good friend Corky Meineke, the NBA beat writer, uh, that spring, and we were shuffling the deck, and our uh, sports editor at the time, Gene Myers, asked me if I could fill in covering Michigan uh, 
Michigan football for that season. I didn't realize how lucky I was uh, till about halfway through the season when they couldn't lose. But anyways, get to get to your question with between Lloyd Carr and Brian Greasy, you know, uh, you know, trust is a, the most important issue between a coach and a quarterback. And uh, it, it, I don't think it came easily to, uh, to the coach, especially Brian Greasy came to the, uh, back to the team with some baggage. Uh, as you remember, he had, uh, you know, the incident in the bar and left the team for a while and worked his way back. And um, uh, g- game after game, you could see it, you could see it develop the trust between the coach and the quarterback. It was tested a little bit, especially in the next week's game against Iowa. But um, uh, listen, it it was almost an unbreakable bond between those two. It was an unbreakable bond. And uh, it was was fascinating to watch unfold. Uh, With every game, Brian Greasy just seemed to uh, get more and more and more confidence. And And with every game, uh, Lloyd Carr, uh, just, uh, I, I guess trust again is the word, uh, uh, leaned on his quarterback to get them, uh, uh, through some really difficult moments that were still ahead of them this coming season. That, you know, that's fascinating because in, in how Michigan football is now, you know, you had uh, head coach Jim Harbaugh basically kind of shuffling quarterbacks and Lloyd Carr does that in a few seasons, but, at the same time, it seems like he's he's hitched his wagon to Brian Greasy, and he's like, hey, if we're going to do something, you're going to be the guy to do it. And now, it, as, you know, as you said, that trust is starting, and the confidence for Brian is starting to grow more and more. And it's not like uh, uh, Lloyd Carr didn't have other options. Uh, you know, he had Scott Dreisbach, who had, uh, you know, was the start of the previous season. And he had a young guy on that team named Tom Brady who hadn't emerged yet as a serious contender for the job. But, you know, uh, that's what Lloyd Carr did, I think, best in his coaching career at Michigan was develop quarterbacks, guys who went on to the NFL to have uh, remarkable success. For sure, for sure. In the first half, would see a trio of field goals, two of them by Michigan, to make the score. 6-3. Before halftime, Michigan would reach the end zone once again. Uh, this time, it's Brian Greasy connecting with Jeremy Tillman for a touchdown to make the score 13-3. We've talked about other members of the Michigan offense throughout the series, but Jeremy Tillman, he plays, he, he would play a major role in the title run down the road, but what do you remember about his time in Ann Arbor? I just remember that every time, it seemed like every single time Michigan needed a big play, uh, Jer- Jeremy Tooman was involved somehow, some way. He was kind of like Brian Greasy's security blanket. Whenever he, whenever he needed to do something, uh, you know, third and long, and, uh, you know, he's scrambling around, how does he find Jeremy Tooman? He did it at the end of this game, by the way. Uh, it's like it, they're two yards away from the end zone. Brian Greasy drops back to pass, and, and suddenly there's a, uh, a, a Northwestern guy gets him in a bear hug. Looks like he's going down at about the 15-yard line. Somehow Greasy does a Houdini, gets out of that, and there he stands, Jeremy Tooman, wide open in the end zone for an easy touchdown, put the game away. I mean, we saw that 
time after time after time. And Jeremy Tubin, I'm glad you mentioned him, Andrew, is one of the really unheralded, unappreciated players from that team. I, I really like that kid. And, and he did some very important things for that team that season. For sure. And because you think about the, the tight ends and, and, and the some of the more unheralded skill position guys in, I would say, from the 90s to the present, to me, he's up there with a Benny Joparu or, or some of these other receivers that have come along and been, you know, really good, like, as you said, security blankets in terms of, okay, if I if it's a second and six or a third and, third and five, I know I can hit Tumen on an out route, boom. You know, we, we, we move the sticks. Um, but, you know, that that's one of the things I was really impressed about with this team that they had one or two guys that could do that every single game. Uh, but when we come back, Charles Woodson comes up big once again for the Michigan defense when Road to the Victors returns after this break. We are back with Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. Michigan gets a late field goal in the third quarter to make the score 13-6. In the fourth quarter, Michigan would slam the door on Northwestern. Brian Greasy connects with Jeremy Tooman, as Keith had described it so perfectly, gets in a bear hug, does a Houdini act, finds Tooman in the end zone, and basically that the game is over. On the following drive for the Wildcats, Charles Woodson would essentially end all chances for a Northwestern comeback, collecting his third interception of the season and second week in a row getting a pick. Now, the Heisman race isn't really much of a story right now at this point, but things are are starting to take shape. At at some point, it's going to start gaining traction. Did you feel like this was the point that Woodson's Heisman run, maybe people aren't talking about it enough? Because I know we have Michigan State down the road, but at the same time, Charles Woodson is making so many plays for the Wolverines five games into the season, were you starting to think, okay, he could do something special? Uh, yes, Andrew. Um, you know, until until about then, um, people were, you know, they, they included Charles Woodson in the Heisman conversation as almost like a uh, uh, sort of a, a gimmick or something. Nobody really took it seriously. He was a long shot at best, obviously primarily a defensive player. But Lloyd Carr is starting to use him, uh, you know, insert him on the offense a little bit, you know, re- receiving um, running plays and uh, and on special teams, obviously. Uh, doing things, doing amazing things with the football on both sides of the line of scrimmage and on special teams. And it was that game, I think, that that not just me, but a lot of other people started thinking, you know, maybe this guy has a shot. And he just kept getting better and better. The plays he was making, you mentioned Michigan State coming up and that one uh, catch that he made, uh, you know, just uh, the, the guy was, was in both – college and the NFL, a tremendous football player. And uh, you could see um, the bandwagon getting bigger and bigger and bigger uh, with, uh, you know, talking about Charles Woodson for the Heisman Trophy. And I, you know, I'm jumping ahead of myself and I I apologize for this, but I was lucky enough to be at the uh, Downtown Athletic Club in New York at the end of the season to watch Charles Woodson win that Heisman Trophy. 
You know, it's one of those controversial Heisman moments. I'm sure I would love to get your thoughts on it uh, when when we get there because I feel like it's it's not talked about enough, that moment specifically. But uh, Michigan would go on to beat Northwestern 23-6. They're now 5-0 in 1997. Keith, they made it through the lesser teams of the Big Ten. You have Northwestern and Indiana. But beginning with Iowa... You have this gauntlet of road tests. You have this gauntlet of ranked teams. Are you feeling like this Wolverines team is special? Or much like Woodson's Heisman a bit, there's still maybe the bandwagon is gathering and you're still wondering, okay, can they conquer XYZ down the road? Well, I, I agree with you that they had just uh, been through a, a fairly easy part of their schedule. They did it in a dominating fashion, obviously. Uh, but to be honest with you, I thought this team was capable of something special after the opening game of the season in Ann Arbor when the number one team in the land, Colorado, came to uh, Ann Arbor and Michigan beat them thir- what, 30-3 to three or some, something like that. They just completely dominated the team that, that was the preseason favorite. Uh, and, and then they just kept winning, but not, not, it's not the fact that they kept winning, Andrew, but it's how they kept winning with that, w- with that defense of theirs. Defense wins championships. Uh, Northwestern was the fourth, uh, game, fourth time in five games that the defense didn't allow a touchdown. When you play like that, you can beat anybody. And, uh, yeah, they would certainly have the, they would be tested, but Jim Herman, the rookie defensive coordinator that year, uh, just did a, a, a remarkable job with that unit. It was special to watch it. As Brian Greasy said after this game, hey, we feed, our offense feeds off the defense. When we're struggling, we let the defense go out there and do their thing, and we are inspired by our defense. And it, it was kind of a neat thing to watch up close like I was able to do for that season. While Michigan rolled, what happened to those five top ten teams that went on the road on Saturday? Number two, Penn State beat number seven, Ohio State, 31-27. Number three, Nebraska beat Baylor, 49-21. Number four, Florida State blasted Duke, 51-27. And number nine, Tennessee beat Georgia, 38-13. And the final and most important game of the weekend, defending national champion and number one, Florida, falls to LSU 28-21. The Tigers' victory over the Gators was the first time LSU had upset the number one team in the country. The loss also ended two long streaks for the Gators in SEC play, a 25-game conference winning streak and a 19-game road winning streak in the SEC all went up in smoke. That means there's a new number one team in the country the Penn State Nittany Lions. Where are the Michigan Wolverines ranked at this week? Number five. And they are hosting number 15 Iowa next week. Before we go, our guest has been Keith Gave. Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford are the executive producers of this podcast. Kerry Jr. II provides technical support. Peter Batia is the editor of the Detroit Free Press. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Road to the Victors on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming app of choice. And find us at freep.com slash podcast. 
please subscribe, leave a rating, and tell your friends about us. It really does mean a lot. For more information on the 1997 Michigan team, pre-order the book, Hail Yes, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines at Freep.com. I'm Andrew Hammond, and we'll see you next week.